Blog Talk Radio. Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions of interest to people in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Today, we have a special guest with us, as usual, um, that is um, coming to us to talk to us a little bit about um, Asian American stereotypes, um, and we'll dissect some of the myth and reality of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And he is uh, the executive director of the Asian American Pacific Islander Progressive Action Organization, uh, Varun Nikor. So, Varun, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. It's great to be with you today. Well, such a pleasure to have us uh have you with us today and um you know it's interesting that and we were talking a little bit before that you've been scheduled for quite some time and since you were originally scheduled a lot has happened in the news media um and and certainly not positively um that there are things that are going on that um certainly are are shameful and um, we we you know have such support that for the Asian American community that we want to uh, express uh, during this time and and uh, in the past and going forward um, and you know it's just so timely that you are here with us today uh, even though it was scheduled quite a while ago um, and and so. I would like to mention for those of you who are joining me in this conversation that um, Varun is the executive director, as I said, of the um, AAPI uh, Progressive Action Organization. He's been involved in national, state, and local politics as a a campaign strategist, a fundraiser, and policy advisor. He uh, served in the Clinton administration and has a variety of um, nonprofit and other organizations that he serves on the boards for. Um, but today, uh, as a part of AAPI Progressive Action Organization, um, w- invited him to tell us a little bit. And I'm just really interested in learning more about you, the work that you're currently doing, um, and about the organization. What's your purpose and mission of uh, of that organization? Yeah. So. We were founded in 2017, just a few short, uh, short years ago, to kind of fill us in the national uh, ecosystem of, of AAPI organizations. Um, there are quite a few uh, nonprofits, 501c3 organizations in our community that uh, focus on all aspects of our, you know, daily life, what's important to us, policies on education and uh, immigration and uh, justice. Uh, and and that sort of thing. Um, however, in the 
in the in the space that we are in, the 501c4 space, which allows us to do a lot of those things that I just mentioned, but also um, use those issue areas and many others in order to activate people um, around certainly elections, right? We're very busy to do, during election times. But, uh, you know, activate our voters, activate our constituencies to uh, call their congressmen and their legislators and, uh, you, you know, get more involved in, in public civic life. Um, mm-hmm. So that's our purpose. And so it centers us around a lot of, uh, you know, sort of policy questions. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, you, you know, in the last administration, we were um, confronted, if you will, and almost assaulted uh, our community mm-hmm. was. Um, you know, on a lot of policy questions. And so we were working to try to beat back on a lot of the onerous rules and, and that sort of thing. And now we're, because we are progressively aligned on the, on the center left, we, we're now going into a little bit of uh, partnership mode. You know, how mm-hmm. can we, as, uh, you know, policies are being worked through the President Biden administration, you know, how do we uh, partner and help make their policies a little bit more friendly to folks in the API uh, community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things you just said um, struck me when you talked about um, voter uh, uh, voter participation and what have you. It made me think about um, what's going on in a number of the uh, really contested states. As you know, you know, we've spent mm-hmm. uh, the greater part of of six months um, dealing with. Um, our election. And, and so I, I'm just curious as it regards voter rights, um, mm-hmm. how, how is uh, some of the, uh, uh, some of this impacting uh, the AAPI community where, where the, where states are, are, are trying to limit access to the voter, uh, the polls and what have you, um, how is that, if at all, impacting um, or do you anticipate it to impact uh, your community? Yeah, so a little bit of background. Uh, so the, 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 what we're seeing out of Georgia and soon uh, nationally across the country, um, just in terms of the restrictions that are being placed on uh, by legislators, to essentially curtail the rights of, of voters. Um, on the face of it, uh, it often gets deemed um, or characterized as um, an assault on black voters, and it definitely mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, in a lot of these states, these fast-growing states, particularly in the South and the Sun Belt, uh, where we're, we're, we're seeing in Georgia and we're going to see uh, in other of these particular states, the fastest growing share of the electorate in, in these South and Sun Belt states are AAPI voters. Wow. Of course, we are the mm-hmm. fastest growing population in the United States. Yeah, so sure. It's logical to, to think that we're also the fastest growing shares of uh, the electorate. And so mm-hmm. um, in Georgia, for example, uh, the share of API voters was over the last 10 years has increased more than 100%. Wow. And in this election alone, the, the most recent presidential election, 2020 election, the turnout of API voters increased also by more than 100%. Wow. 
Wow. So when, when you talk about uh, restricting in one way, shape, or form the rights of, of voters, um, it, it is almost with surgical precision that these rights will affect not only uh, people of color, uh, you know, black and Latino voters, but uh, even more to a degree certain API uh, voters. And by certain, I mean specific ethnicities whose first language may not be English. Mm-hmm. And thus mm-hmm. the, the knowledge of, you know, even how to vote in getting yourself educated on the issues and the candidates becomes that much more difficult because these these restrictions are are being enacted so sure, in some sure. cases it is worse almost for the api community than um other communities that don't necessarily have you know sort of english proficiency as right should. right right and language barriers um absolutely i i i can understand that and and your point that it is often framed as a, uh, an issue or these are issues of black and brown communities. And while they are, uh, that is exactly why um, I think it's important uh, for you to be here today um, to talk a little bit about this, because there are a lot of myths that are out there and, and, and a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation um, and I think just sometimes it, it's not shared, um, and I think that's important uh, to hear that to hear that perspective. And and so um, what you know you know how I guess going back to the voter rights, um, how specifically um, is your organization? Are you joining in um, with other groups in the the legal battle? And how how is your organization participating in that? So we, given the limited resources that uh, a lot of you know these types of organizations like ours have, we have to sort of concentrate our our limited resources in specific areas. But I see. Uh, so and and it's it's not like uh, it, it's ex- it probably one of the more important things that that as a progressive community on the left needs to be focused on. And there's amazing groups out there doing, uh, uh, you know, better work that, than, uh, frankly, we can do. But what, where we are primarily concentrating our efforts is building out a little bit more capacity on the policy side so that we can talk to legislators and, and inform them not only about what the impact on these onerous restrictions will have, but how to craft legislation that will, rather than restrict the election and electoral process, but make it much more open and friendly, particularly to API voters. So that's mm-hmm. that's where our focus is really going to be, you know, these next several years going forward. Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who are just joining, may have joined just a little late, uh, our guests Today is the executive director of the Asian American Pacific Islander uh, Progressive Action Organization, uh, Mr. Varun Nikor, uh, and he is, uh, we've been talking a little bit about um, the organization, but also uh, voter rights and how it is impacting the AAPI community. I want to pivot just a moment to um, talk about what's been going on recently and there's certainly a lot of news coverage 
about the um, horrendous uh, acts that have been committed against um, um, uh, our Asian fellow citizens. And, um, and I wanted to hear a little bit about what, what other work um, your, your organization is doing in this area. Yeah, thank you. So we were when we were formed in 17, 2017, we really were founded because um, the the genesis was essentially that each White House uh, has something called the White House Initiative for AAPIs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started back in the Bill Clinton days and has been renewed by uh, all presidents, Republican and Democrat. And when Donald Trump got elected, uh, those commissioners that were appointed to the initiative that were um, <laughs> obviously more progressive in nature because they were uh, uh, appointed by President Obama, mm-hmm. they, they had resigned in mass. Uh, sort of as a protest because their values were certainly not aligned. Their terms could have uh, expired well into the Trump years, but they decided to resign in mass. And so after about a year of strategizing and, you know, sort of, you know, determining, okay, well, what are our next steps as subject matter experts in various aspects of, um, you know, American life, Asian American life, they decided to form this organization. They came together and we formed this organization. And uh, from the very beginning, our main job was essentially playing defense, as I you know, alluded to earlier, just playing defense, um, uh, frankly, the onslaught of rules coming out of the Trump administration to make our life harder, restrict uh, our various rights, as well as, in certain cases, saying that we should self-deport, that mm-hmm. we should mm-hmm. you, you know, go back mm-hmm. to the countries that we came from. Uh, yes. And and so, you know, that led to the whole defensive argument. But, you know, we also were very involved in this um, 2020 election, did a lot of work in language yes. to ensure mm-hmm. that, you know, basic information was getting out about sure. the differences between, you know, the candidates uh, and um, ensuring that, you know, they heard both sides of the argument. And then lastly, this is an, an, a very important piece, and it's going to, I think be ever more important uh, going forward is the whole sort of, uh, you know, social media platforms uh, are being used to disseminate like false information. Yes. And in certain corners of social media and the internet, it's, um, it's not monitored. Like for example, Facebook might monitor things a little bit more uh, comprehensively. A lot of places where APIs get news uh, and information are on these third-party apps like WhatsApp and WeChat and Kakao yeah. Talk that are used by you know South Asian, Korean, Chinese, sure. um, Chinese Americans. And so, since that's the prime uh, uh, information source in many cases for our voters, uh, and those platforms are not necessarily monitored, it is right for it's like a recipe for disinformation to go to run amok. And sure, so sure. we are, are investing a lot of money in, in that going forward because uh, without, like, proper monitoring, you could have uh, an overthrow of, of elections. WhatsApp is used by more people around the world than any single platform, and it's becoming yeah, sure. much more popular in the United States. 
Uh, and, um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you, you know, illicit things that, that have gone on in, in uh, African countries as well as in, in India uh, by, because these, these third-party channels were not monitored. No, right. I, I, I certainly know what you mean. I, I have seen uh, a number of places where the just even people uh, that you know uh, somewhat informally in, in networks that are on WhatsApp and WeChat um, are sharing videos of that, that are very professionally put together that look like reputable news outlets and you you know if you know better you know that these are not um but some people don't know that they aren't uh reputable news outlets and and they're spreading a lot right. of um, information absolutely uh, the the mm-hmm. thing that makes these platforms so uh, powerful and so popular is the fact that it the fact that it is so easy to share videos and sure. and messages Right. Yeah. That's what attracts people. You, you know, you press one button and you just send it to a group of a video to a group of 150 people. But that's uh, right. Used in the wrong hands, it, it, it really could, you know, sort of mess up an election. And, and I think we can look to 2016 and to a degree 2020, uh, you know, as, as prime examples of that. Sure. You know, and I know that um, an organization such as yours, this is not new work where you have to think about some of what has been happening. I'm sure this has been on your agenda probably from day one about the discrimination and um, anti-Asian Pacific Islander uh, rhetoric that gets shared. Um, It, you know, it's something that has been happening. Um, what, What are the conversations in in your circles uh, um, about when it comes to some of the sources of this. And and when I say sources, I just mean, why now? Like, what is it? Is it, it, has it been mostly because of the, the, the myths and the misinformation about the, the virus? Um, Is it about threats that, you know, a, a successful um, portion of the population has enjoyed? What is it exactly that you think has caused this rise in anti-Asian sentiment, say, just, you know, over the years? I, w- I, I won't say just over the past couple of years, but over the years, why why this rise? It was the, the pandemic was the the main driver, but beyond, you know, simply saying it was the pandemic, it was, you know, Donald Trump, frankly, constantly referring to uh, COVID uh, as originating from, uh, you know, and I don't want to repeat it because that perpetuates, uh, frankly, the problem, but, you know, where the virus was supposedly came from, the city that it came from, the country that it came from, and then more derogatory uh, terms, that, you, you know, um, uh, you know the the um, uh, the sports derogatory derogatory term. I don't want to repeat yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a, a perfect recipe. Frankly, you had, um, you know, the angst and the fear of a nation, 
the sure. the driving of incendiary rhetoric by our president, and uh, who who started using those terms, stopped using them, and then when uh, realizing that the election was tight, doubled down, and many mm-hmm. in his administration doubled down, mm-hmm. and then. You know, you also had other sort of uh, uh, ingredients for the the rise of this perfect storm, if you will, which was that, you know, Asians have always been viewed as the model minority, the perpetual foreigner, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the people got tired of being cooped up. Uh, you know, I'm tired of being cooped up. And they wanted to blame someone and the rhetoric made it easy to blame us because it was all out there. You know, so it was all of these things, right? So even if like, for example, Chinese Americans came in, you know, in a, in a um, holistic way in the late 1800s and around 1880 or so, uh, right. So to, to, to view us as perpetual foreigners when in fact, you know, they've, the Chinese American community, a lot of them have been here since the late 1800s. Right. There's a fallacy, right? We don't view Irish Americans or Greek Americans, uh, you, you know, who came in the in the early 1900s in that same vein. True, uh, Because true. they are, you know, white-skinned, right? So right. Um, they, you know, this is uh, an issue that we face, and we're having, a, we're having our moment, and, and uh, we were having it already. Uh, in a mm. negative sort of connotation, right? Mm-hmm. Just with the rise of hate incidents, they were they were happening. These acts have happened since COVID started, and then of course, you know the horrific killings and murders of six Asian women and two two non Asians in the spa in Atlanta right. uh, two weeks ago. Um, I think drove a lot in our community to finally say enough is enough. Right. And that right. um, it, it enlightened, it, it sort of ignited, if you will, this larger conversation about mm-hmm. race that we were already in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in the last year plus with George Floyd um, and and uh, um, and other incidents in the in the black community for way too sure. long, but it's it's now like what what was already a, a, a national conversation about race and how people in this country view the black community is now sort of arced out, if you will, a little bit further to like, how are we, how are we viewing Asians in this country? Right. Who are often, you know, not talked about when we come up with a subject of race, it's usually in black and brown communities. That's right. And, and so, you know, it's, it's extremely unfortunate. However, I think it's, you know, um, extremely healthy, if you will, and healthy right. for our nation and healthy, I think, for us as Asian Americans, mainly because, you know, in our community, we don't talk about death, I would say, in ways that help um, pr- promote our mental health and our, mm-hmm. and our mental well-being. Mm-hmm. And we, mm-hmm. we, don't, um, we don't talk about murder, let alone death, but murder. Right, right. And um, we don't, frankly, talk about racism. If we feel discrimination, we're taught to hide it. We're taught to, you know, just work harder so that mm-hmm. your efforts and your and your hard work will get noticed, and sure. that eventually you will overcome the discrimination because the world will see how great you are and how mm-hmm. hard you work, uh, how hard you work, right? Sure. So 
those are all things that are, um, and I'm generalizing, right, because we're talking yes, about, yes. you know, the origins of four and a half billion people, more than half mm-hmm. of the, the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and there are, you know, different, you know, shades of how we view, you know, those, those items that I, I just mentioned. Yes. But if I were to generalize, I would say that, you, you know, um, we just don't, we don't deal with all that, you know, very, right. very well. So if you ask an Asian, you, you know, how they are feeling, chances are it's a very repressed, it's coming from a repressed place uh, um, hmm. and not a place of uh, enlightenment and not a place where uh, it's, it's almost easy to share because we don't, we don't share it. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, the, um, the point you made about the, the national discourse on race has been ongoing and and frequently it is turned to black and and brown people um and for very concrete historical reasons um yeah. and it, it it you know a, a common uh tactic or strategy you may say uh from an oppressor is to split and divide those that are being oppressed so that there are some in different categories, you know, kind of levels of oppression, but that there are, there's discrimination, but there's some groups that are discriminated far more than others. And so in some cases, those that are only discriminated against a little uh, out of fear that they may like kind of the, the stove might get turned up. Don't say anything because they they stand to lose some of the things that they've gained, and and it's 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 kind of a game of of playing one against the other, and that's something that I know has been talked about for years and years, particularly you know the, in places like uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, um, where there have been splits in the community between black and brown people and Asians um, and a lot of it around economic opportunity uh, and, and, and what um, the various groups, how they go about making uh, opportunity for their community. And so what progress are, are we making um, towards seeing that much of our uh, 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 our oppression and our discrimination um, is is the same, and that we are really on the same side of this. There are no winners to this, because uh, I, I think about all the time um, when I think about the different groups kind of fighting for the scraps at the table. Is I think about something that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, said um, about when he was jailed in Birmingham that as they got a chance to talk to other groups and other races um, was that he said to them, you should be marching with us because the issues Mm -hmm. are the same issues. The things, the reason you only uh, are making a certain amount of money is because you might be poor and white, or you might be Asian, or you might be Pacific Islander or other and and so what what movement are we making and is your organization working towards kind of bringing these communities with a common struggle together? Yeah, are you, are, is there any movement there? 
there there is, and I think the movement starts with uh, national conversation and national dialogue. Um, and it's unfortunate, uh, Dr. Perkins, but we're only two weeks into that national dialogue, mm. right? I mean, that that dialogue sure. did not start, frankly, until the murders in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we're we're just not even in the first inning. I think we're just, frankly, in the batter's box, just warming up, uh, you know, uh, and the the... the it, it will be many years, um, you know, of dialogue before I think we're, we'll see measurable progress. But I think I'm optimistic from the standpoint that, if, well, first of all, if I wasn't optimistic, I think the, the, the daily news, whether you're, you, you know, no matter what your background, would be rather depressing, right? We're still in the middle of this, you know, pandemic. We see a potential turn, but, you know, we have to obviously remain vigilant. But I have to remain optimistic because from what I am seeing out of um, the, not only the Asian American community who uh, in this last election were the most engaged that the API community has ever been in the history of the United States of America. And to the point where we won't know for sure for several more weeks, but we could have potentially closed a 15 percentage point under voting gap, right? So AAPI okay. basically vote 15% less than the national average. We could, we could have seriously closed the majority of that gap in one presidential cycle, unheard of wow. in the state wow. of politics sure. today. And mm-hmm. so then, you know what, three months post uh, this election, the most momentous election for AAPIs, we had the, the murders in Atlanta uh, and, of course, this last year, a little bit more than a year of, of uh, anti-Asian American racism, you know, rearing its ugly head. And so we're, I think we're still processing the sort of the effects of that, you, you know, but I think we, we have to stay in this national conversation, not only because um, – you know, of George Floyd, but against the, frankly, the aggressions of all of the, uh, against all of the BIPOC communities, which is the ugly history of the United States, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, but we're at least talking about it in the circles that I'm in, the the largely progressive political circles, we're, we're having deep, deep conversations about not only what can we do, but backing that up with not backing those actions up and that conversation up with potential dollars to help tackle some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the API community has been underinvested in philanthropically, underinvested in politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so now I think we're getting another look. And I, I think only positive things can, can happen. And we're waiting on uh, uh, administrative actions from the Biden administration uh, uh, also that could help uh, not only further this national conversation, certainly, but also uh, meaningful laws, meaningful executive orders, meaningful actions in the government agencies that will lift up and shine a, a bright light on the embedded racism in the system. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. that that conversation is, you know, that arc has not 
very long, unfortunately. That's only mm-hmm. something that's been lifted up these last several years. Um, but uh, at least, you know, folks on the progressive side are, are determined and are going to fight like heck to, to ensure that we, we shine that bright light on, on, all, on all discrimination, on all racism, sure. uh, on all of these structural deformities that people just think is normal and don't, right. and don't even question anymore. Right, right. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. And as I as I mentioned, um, you know, this 30 minutes goes really fast. And so we're already over our time. But I, I really appreciate you uh, for coming on and and sharing a little bit about what you're doing. And and so, you know, I commend you and the others at the uh, Progressive Action Organization, AAPI. Um, for the work that you're doing, and just know that um, certainly here with us, um, you have allies, and we we certainly um, want to be supportive um, of the community and and so many others. And that's the reason, you know, I asked the question: um, Is there any movement there? Because um, we are also hopeful that um, we can stay engaged in this conversation to help people realize that this is this is where um it so gives so much more meaning to like we're only uh as strong as the weakest part of our community and so we all have to build each other up and 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 work together at this so really appreciate your your words um for those of you who are interested um we we have uh next week uh uh, a woman who was a homeless teenage mother, Fatia Adur Rama, um, who is in Camden, New Jersey, is a elementary school principal. Next week's broadcast entitled "The Reason Why I Serve." Uh, we're going to have a noontime kind of lunch chat with her on Wednesday, April the seventh, to talk about her journey from a homeless teenage mother to uh, being a principal of an elementary school in Camden. And so today uh, with Varun Nikor um, has been here and really shed some light on the progress and um, dispelling a lot of the myth around um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And so we're thankful to you for being here um, uh, Varun, and um, if there is, we are hopeful that um, you will will be here um, to be a part of our conversation um, going forward. Um, we'd love to have you back at some point, and um, for all of you who are listening, next time, be here with us. Go well, stay well. Thanks again, Varun. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.